Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Listening to Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now, here are your hosts Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 455 of the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. This is Linux in the Hamshack. And this is our short topics episode, so thank you all for joining us, and uh, we hope to uh, entertain and inform, and if nothing else, just try and have a little bit of a good time, although I suspect this episode is going to be a little bit on the downish side with current world events, which really we can't ignore, so we should just go ahead and get into it. But before we do that, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. And since Bill is a little closer to the situation in Ukraine than we are, let's uh, have him talk a little bit about the first story. Yes, it's kind of an unavoidable topic, but interestingly, there is a direct amateur radio correlation with this story about the war in Ukraine, and Bill's going to tell us all about it. Yeah, and this was a message that's posted on the homepage of the Ukrainian Amateur Radio League. And, of course, it was Google translated, but uh, here is the message. Uh, Dear compatriots, this morning Russian President Putin declared war on Ukraine, as Hitler once did. The, Russia, the Russian attack took place early in the morning when Ukraine was resting peacefully before the working day. Explosions erupted in many cities, including the military units, warehouses, infrastructures, and air defenses. The occupiers used planes, helicopters, drones, cruise missiles that flew from Russia, Belarus, Crimea, and Transnistria. At the same time, a ground operation began. Fighting is currently underway, and the armed forces of Ukraine are repelling the aggressor. The LRU informed the international amateur radio organizations about Russia's military invasion of Ukraine. To date, there have been many reports from radio amateurs around the world in support of Ukraine. Following the news from the news agencies, we would like to inform you Uh-oh. that in connection with our imposition of martial law, there is a ban on the use of amateur radio stations for 30 days. Decree of the President of Ukraine, number 63 of 2022, February 23rd, 2022. The LRU Executive Committee is working out and agreeing on the possibility of exchanging operational information. Radio frequencies will be reported additionally. For messages, please use the email addresses in the show notes. You can find them in the show notes or on their website. Uh, We will win. Glory to Ukraine Executive Committee of the LRU. And that came directly off of the homepage of the uh, Ukrainian Amateur Radio League. Well, it's interesting. I'm trying to figure out what their... Let's see, reports of amateurs around the world connection with martial law, blah, 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 blah. So what was the point of banning amateur radio? Just so people don't leak information? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And I mean, uh, obviously, we have a follow-up story from the ARRL about this as well. Um, But it doesn't really... 
doesn't really shed any additional light on why, but I'm assuming since it's under martial law, um, they want to control the airwaves in and out, and they have primary use of all the frequencies. Yeah, fair enough. And I, they probably do want to have as much communication open as possible without interference. So I guess I'll go ahead and read the second one here since it's related. A state of emergency. Is, okay, well, I guess I should read the title first. Let's just, just not dive in. Amateur radio in Ukraine ordered off the air in state of emergency, although I guess we could have figured that out already. A state of emergency was declared in Ukraine just prior to the Russian military invasion. Among other things, the February 24th decree from President Volodymyr Zelensky will remain in effect at least for 30 days and may be extended. As published on the website of the Verkhovna Rada, Ukraine's... That sounds like a an enemy on Doctor Who. <laughs> the Verkhovna Rada. Uh, Ukraine's unicameral... unicameral legislative body the state of emergency includes regulation of tv and radio activities and a quote ban on the operation amateur radio transmitters for personal and collective use unquote the decree also imposes a ban on mass events and on strikes and authorizes checking the documents of citizens and if necessary conducting searches on persons vehicles cargo office space and housing a curfew could be imposed Quote, the situation changes rapidly. IARU Region 1 Secretary Mats Espling, SM6EAN, said, IARU Region 1 continues to monitor the development and expect all amateur radios to follow their national laws and regulations. Another story from the ARRL. I just found on DX World, I just looked up why is it banned in Ukraine. One of the notes that they have here is a ban on producing and spreading information that may destabilize the situation. Yeah, that's kind of what I said. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, and I think it also makes sense that they want to keep the airwaves clean if they need need it for government, uh, right. you know, communication or whatever. So, yep, the whole thing is ridiculous, and it's, you know... As I said before we started recording, it's just hard to believe that somebody started a war in 2022. Apparently, some of us haven't moved into the 21st century yet, but uh, what are we supposed to do? We're sitting here in the middle of you know, the United States, a long way from Ukraine and Russia. It's just really sad to see the horror that's going on over there yeah. for, for no real apparent reason that I can figure, although they did seize control of Chernobyl, I guess, great. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, well, there's a little bit of panic going on about that, too. The thing is, no one should even be near Chernobyl. I mean, because of I mean, the but but they said that it was a direct line between, you know, Belarus and, you know, I know. But just think of the massive exposure, because I'm pretty sure the armies that are rolling through there are not like in hazmat suits. You know, they're not in radiation gear. Well, from what I gather from what I've been reading about Chernobyl lately, because there's been more and more people going to, you know, investigate at Chernobyl or whatever, um, they give you a radiation counter and they allow you to be in there like two hours and then you got to go because at that point, too much radiation. Yeah, so they let people go in for like two hours, take pictures, whatever, and then they got to get out. So maybe they don't care about their their armies well i, don't I know. have my own thoughts about that <laughs> yeah. but yeah so but you know i an article i read last night basically said that you know the ukraine is petrified of what they might do at chernobyl 
I'm not sure what they can do. There's just a bunch of raw waste there. I'm not sure it's usable bombing, for anything. Bombing, well, it's all been maybe. encapsulated and everything else. <clears throat> yeah, mainly yeah. it's the uh, stirring of uh, the the particles and everything else that are around there. Like you know, you're supposed to stay on the roads and stuff like that. And I'm right, sure there's probably the grass and stuff. Yeah, I'm sure there's probably not a lot of following distinct policy. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> probably not that much traffic goes through there to uh, whip up a, a, a dust storm, but you know, I have seen reports of, uh, of, uh, you know, increased radiation detected from the area. Yeah. That's all I need. Even though the reactors are encased in, I don't know how many, you know, umpteen tons, tons of, of concrete, concrete yeah. but yeah, that's still, still bad. And that was 1986. So yep. Craziness. All right, let's move on to something a little less uh, depressing <laughs> and talk about Utes on the air, and we'll let Bill cover this story because he doesn't know how to edit. <laughs> this is a press release. We read it as you don't is. Have to, you, know, you don't have to read it as well, is. Well, you know, for Neil. For Neil. Okay, we'll for, for Neil. Just for Neil, because we like we like Neil. So, yes, this is the Youth on the Air uh, Camp 2022 application period is open. Uh, this comes from Westchester, Ohio, February 11th, 2022. Applications are now being accepted for campers interested in attending Youth on the Air Camp. Licensed amateur radio operators ages 15 through 25 who want to attend are encouraged to apply online at youthontheair.org. Uh, the camp is scheduled to take place June 12th through June 17th, 2022 at the National Voice of America Museum of Broadcasting in Westchester Township. That, that's North Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, applications should be submitted by 2359 Zulu on March 1st. Applications received after the deadline will be accepted until all 30 spots are filled. So, yeah, get, get your applications in. Applications received before the deadline will be given priority in the selection process. The application process is free. A $100 deposit is required upon acceptance. Should a potential camper be unable to pay the $100 deposit, he or she may apply for a scholarship or waiver. Campers are also responsible for their own arrival and departure transportation to the uh, hotel camp or camp hotel. Sorry. Uh, travel during camp events is provided. Travel assistance may also be available, especially for those traveling from outside of the United States. Uh, campers will be selected by the committee and notified by March 15th uh, to encourage attendance from across IARU Region 2, or IRU <laughs> Region 2. Allocation for campers are being held open for various areas of North, Central, and South America. If countries do not use their allocation or should someone within an allocation decline acceptance, those positions will be filled from the remaining pool of applicants. As this will be an ongoing process, everyone will not receive notification of acceptance at the same time. We know that changes in the COVID-19 pandemic status and CDC guidelines between now and June will have an impact on our decision to host the camp. At this time, we have a high level of confidence that hosting the camp uh, June 12th through the 17th, 2022, will be possible. Uh, should we not be able to host the camp or need to reschedule, we will let everyone know with as much notice as possible. Appropriate requirements on masking and vaccination status will be announced as needed. For details about the camp, visit the camp webpage at youthontheair.org. Or for additional information, please contact Camp Director Neil Rep, WB9VPG, at director at youthontheair.org. And, of course, that came from the IARU Region 2 website. All right, very good. Looks like things are moving ahead, and it's the same, I think, for Hamvention. I think they've pretty much said there will be a Hamvention in some form or fashion. 
and we're sort of ready to head out that way. But this is cool for the Utes who want to get on the air. And uh, how many campers do they say they do? Like 30, something like that? Uh, 30, I think, yeah. 30, 30, 30, 30. I thought it 30 sounds like the number. Yeah, 30 spots. 30 spots, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And I kind of gather, you know, from the discussion we had with one of the attendees from last time they had it, that they all have a really good time. So if you have a youth that's interested in amateur radio and wants to be a part of this, you should definitely get in early on the application process, and uh, hopefully they will have an enjoyable time at uh, Youth on the Air Camp. Yeah, which means apply now, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly, right. If you're listening to this and you have uh, thoughts on applying, now is the time. Yeah, because Tuesday, the day after this release, this podcast should release, <laughs> is the day. It's due. I thought, didn't it say March 15th? Or that? No, that was the announcement. That was right. Yeah, that's when yeah, they'll start choose. making decisions as soon as the 15th. 15th but the right. application should be submitted by March 1st, the end of the day. So, yeah. Right. So there you go. Get on it. <laughs> like immediately. Immediately. <laughs> All right, so shifting gears from amateur radio topics into open source, we have a few topics in here for today. And since Cheryl is sitting, well, she's not actually sitting idly by. She's being very diligent and looking up information on the webs. Uh, But we'll go ahead and have her read a story here. Okay, great. Hang on just a second. Oh, I I tried to give you, (laughs) see, I give you these long lead-ins so you can be done doing whatever you're doing and then Yeah, and you heard me coughing and choking last night, so apparently I'm coming down with a cold. Um, So, for our open source topics, our first story is Linux enthusiasts especially, the Steam Deck is an incredible and fun device. If you haven't been living and if you haven't been living under a rock, the Steam Deck really not need an introduction. But otherwise, long story short, it is the much anticipated value handheld gaming computer. Valve. Valve. Oh, that's a, that's me. a victor. Valve. Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> Valve Handheld Gaming Computer that features a 7-inch 12 by 800 display, gaming optimized controls, 16 gigabyte of LPDDR5 memory, 64 gigs to 512 gigs of storage, depending on the model, and is powered by a custom AMD APU. The AMD APU is made up of four Zen 2 cores, 8 threads, and AMD RDNA2 GPU with 8 compute units. On the software side, the Steam Deck is using SteamOS 3.0 that in turn is based on Arch Linux. SteamOS 3.0 is a complete overall compared to Valve's prior SteamOS work that's based on Debian GNU Linux. SteamOS 3 with Arch Linux is much more fast-moving and has been seeing near-daily updates in preparation for launch. By default, the Steam Deck boots directly into Steam with its optimized full-screen interface. It works well and allows quick and easy access to your Steam game library. This UI looks nice, works efficiently, including when connected to a larger external display via USB-C. But for many Pharonix readers, equally exciting is the easy access to developer mode. Simply hit the Steam button, navigate to the system settings, and toggle the developer mode option. 
After doing so, when clicking on the power button, there is a switch to desktop option. This exits the Steam mode with its com- custom compositor and fires up a KDE Plasma desktop. Steam Deck being such an open platform was so refreshing in today's world of vendor lock-ins and closed ecosystems. Not only is it built atop Linux, but the hardware is quite open too, with the storage being replaceable, able to attach peripherals via USB-C for those with Linux drivers, etc. And that information came from Phoronix. Yes, that's very cool. It's a, quite an interesting device. I took a quick look at it before the show because apparently I have been living under a rock and did not know about this thing. <laughs> But the 64 gig version comes in at $399 and the 512 comes in at 600 something. So it's not super cheap, but it does look handy. It does look fun, especially if you're into Steam gaming. And of course, if you're into KDE Plasma, which I am definitely getting more into again than I was back in the day. And, uh, you know, considering it's uh, got, you know, for a small handheld device, it still has a 1280 by 800 screen. Which is, you know, technically HD, right? Because it's bigger yeah. than 720p. So, yeah, this could be a handy little thing. Yeah, and you know, it's uh, it's it's constantly getting updates, like they say. And uh, you know, I have seen mixed mixed reviews, but um, for the most part, everything's positive, except for you know, <laughs> oh, it didn't do this one thing. It didn't do this one thing. <laughs> you know, it's always these little nitpicky things. Um, and uh, this has been a product pretty pretty long and and coming out and then under many different delays and whatnot and uh i i think at least it's 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 good it's good enough <laughs> and i like the fact that it's it's definitely you know open uh you know especially with the talk of the, the open hardware being able to change things you know we were used to buying appliances uh, like cell phones and whatnot that you can't change a battery on. You can't, you know, without sending it in for repairs or whatnot. You know, this is something that's still accessible to the end user. It has the developer mode, so you can go in and use the Linux desktop that's built into it. Uh, and it's running Arch. Hey, how about that? So uh, it's uh, pretty good. It's, uh, uh, I'm sure it'll just continue to get better because, you know, the hardware itself looks uh, looks plenty capable of doing what what they're asking it to do. And this may be anecdotal, but I seem to recall or at least remember hearing about lately a lot of projects that are moving off the Debian slash Ubuntu platform over to Arch, uh, especially for devices like this. There must be something about it that's better in the development space. Um, But it seems like Arch is becoming a lot more popular just in general. Yeah, it's probably just uh, the age of the stuff in the repo. I think people are just kind of to the point now that if the the user base is going to grow, they're going to want, you know, the latest versions of stuff and, you know, obviously the latest hardware support. That means the latest kernels. Uh, It's hard to stick on an LTS base and stuff like that. And, uh, and maintain that rapid, uh, rapid uh, progression in versions. Yeah, that certainly makes a bit of sense. All right. So moving on, we have one more topic in open source and that is GitHub advisory database now opens to community contributions. The world of open source security is fast moving with new vulnerabilities and different attack vectors driving the community continuously to search and learn more. GitHub has teams of security researchers that review all changes and help keep security advisories up to date, but often there are community members with additional insights and intelligence on CVEs that do not have a place to share this knowledge. Today, we, presumably this is GitHub, are excited to announce that the GitHub Advisory Database is now open to community contributions, exclamation point. 
GitHub is publishing the full contents of the advisory database to a new public repository to make it easier for the community to benefit from this data. We've also built a user interface for making contributions, which is documented below. The data is licensed under a Creative Commons license as ha- and has been since the database's inception, making it forever free and usable by the community. The GitHub Advisory Database is the largest database of vulnerabilities and software dependencies in the world. It is maintained by a dedicated team of full-time curators and powers the security audit experience for NPM and NuGet, as well as GitHub's own Dependabot alerts. By making it easier to contribute to and consume, we hope it will power even more experiences and will further help improve the security of all software. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Except for all the people who are moving to GitLab. well i mean you can still rely on some of the same tooling and stuff like that so um they're not very different when it comes to uh, security scans because the security scanning software uses databases for the replication of uh you know those kind of information it's much like uh, having a, a virus scanning database right you can reuse the same signatures and various you know software pieces and stuff like that and uh, I use both GitHub and GitLab every day, so <laughs> they both have their own uh, nuances when it comes to doing uh, security scanning. All right, this is nice, though. Having everything even more open and allowing people to contribute more readily will actually increase the security of all of the things that are researched and hosted under GitHub, which, you know, more open, more security, more eyes, always better. And that's been the focus of open source sort of all along. So yeah, really, really there's news. like two other companion uh, blog posts that kind of go along with this too. This is just the one I happened to pull out, but there's a, uh, there's a one for specifically for maintainers, how to use this information. And then uh, um, other, uh, you know, just users of, uh, of software and, and, and integration of, uh, you know, the open source projects and stuff like that um, has a user guide as well <laughs> of how to make the most out of all of this tooling and everything else. So a um, lot of good information out there. If you're uh, using GitHub to either uh, deploy your software or maintain your software, or are you using projects directly off of GitHub? So a lot of, a lot of good stuff out there. All right. And very good. So let's move on into Linux in the Hamshack, our segment that combines open source and amateur radio. And because I feel like turning the tables on Bill today, who often posts things in the show notes, which are lists without context, I'm going to make him do this one. <laughs> so. Oh, okay. So, yeah, this is um, uh, Fradiva. No, oh, wait, no, no. FreeDV. Uh, this must be a new release. 1.7.0 released. Uh, contains, uh, of course, we all know FreeDV. They just had the, the wasn't that the FreeDV activity days, what, last month or? Was yeah, that, so it was, uh, it was recently. January. Yeah, yeah, just recently. So uh, hopefully you've uh, got to you know beat on the free DV drum and give that a whirl. If not, I suggest giving it a try. It's a pretty cool little program and uh, ability to do digital over HF. But anyway, there are a bunch of bug fixes that they took care of here in this uh, 1.7.0 release. We have uh, uh, bug fixes that resolve the issue with the waterfall appearing garbled on some systems. Uh, they resolved an issue with restore defaults, restoring previous settings on exit, uh, which is not good. Uh, resolves an issue with some valid sound devices causing port audio errors during startup checks. Um, I, I, I've seen that before. <laughs> Enhancements. They have a remove requirement to restart FreeDV after using restore defaults. That probably goes hand in hand with that bug above. Uh, highest frequency display on main window unless the PSK reporter is using it. 
Uh, scales per mode squelch settings when in multi-RX mode to reduce unwanted noise. Uh, Single-threaded mode is now uh, the default when multi-RX is turned on. And let's see, multi-RX mode is the default. Anything else that looks good? Documentation, they've added a section on creating Windows shortcuts to handle multiple configurations. Uh, Resolves the issue with the PDF image placement. No idea what that is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and let's look at the build system. They've improved the build system here. That uh, see, they could do a Mac uh, Mac OS app bundle created by CMake, CMake instead of manually. Uh, fail as soon as a step in the build script fails, and have Windows uninstaller clean up the registry instead of leaving garbage behind. Yay, we like that. Uh, Windows installer now installs a sample wave files as well. But anyway, you can find the link to that in the show notes. So that's really cool that uh, it's still getting uh, still getting updates. Yes, and underlying FreeDB is Codec 2, which is Dave Rowe's project. And the audio codec that, that handles all this digital voice stuff and is actually the underpinning of M17, that new digital mode that's under considerable active development and which is another project we're following. So Codec 2 is uh, doing great things in the world and everyone should use it. Okay, and that means we have no more topics. (laughs) (laughs) A little short on the LHS side, but, uh, you know. Yeah, we we always seem to be because there, there doesn't seem to be a lot that we haven't already touched on in that space. You know, usually it's new versions of stuff, but like new announcements of, of topics that, that really sort of uh, integrate open source and amateur radio. There's not a lot of new ground, or at least there hasn't been recently. So hopefully that will change coming up soon. But we're not going to sit here and dwell on negativity today. We're going to have Cheryl come in here and tell everybody who has joined our show over the past couple of weeks. All righty then. So, for our Patreons, we have Reginald Addo, William Large, Steve Annis, Andy Cowley, Gary Tibbetts, David Scarf, David Slaughter, Jim Lawson, Patrick Ang, Douglas Schock, Eric Guth, Brandon Rosek, Michael Burdak, John Spriggs, Robert Lewis, Robert Pitts, David Jagway, Cubicle Nate, Samuel Vimes, Peter Caffrey, Don Rhodes, Paul Griffith, Jonas Rulo, Donald Gover, Herb Garcia, Steve Metcalf, William Heckelman, Randolph Smith, and Andy Webster. For our subscriptions, we have Vincent Martin, Paul Mooney, Craig Kryson, Chris DeLuca, Eric Muller, Carl Backus, Isaac Gear, Thomas Foy, Michael Burdak, Kevin Ivey, Tony Coberly, Ronald Ike, Johnny Kinsey, Fred Cole, Bill Piotr, Robert Halliday, Wayne Hale, John Clark, Steve Hepler, Michael Jopling, Howard Dittmer, Todd Bowers, Michael Carey, A. Taylor, Dylan Engel, Jim McKenzie, Bill Collins, Robert Black, Darren King, Randolph Smith, Robert Yerke, Steve Biella, Alan Wilson, Mark Farrell, and Jeff Zimmerman. On Facebook, we had Wolfgang Schneider, Ian Cook, or Ian Cook, excuse me, Patrick Hagen, Steve Shaffet, Chaz Holliday, Don Cast, Alan B. Lister, and Peter Busha. On Twitter, we had at RadioGeek82, at Calcitrantum, and at underscore Santa Joseph. On YouTube, we had Dave Felice, Jeff Bishop, Russ Hools, and Isa Gasby. And on Discord, we have Rovax, KA1VSC-MAT, KC5CNT, YYPNW, K 
KI7KIT Dennis, uh, Calcitrantum, Captain Shenanigans, KE0HZ Lauren, Mad Rad Shop, and Tomas123. Nothing for the mailing list and no merchandise sales. What on earth is that? Is that an airplane? That's like a loud vehicle out my window. That's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> or a plane landing on the roof, one or the other. Yeah. You know? I guess, the, you know, it is weird being here because we're like kind of on a main street into uh, downtown Cork. <laughs> so, and, and our street in Montana, we don't get any traffic. <laughs> so, it's been a little bit of a, an adjustment for us. All right. Well, that was uh, kind of an interesting way to end the program, but thanks everybody for listening and thanks for checking out some of our short topics along with us. We hope this was at least mildly entertaining and moderately informative. And uh, we hope that you'll be around to tune into the next episode, which is the 87th edition of the weekender. And you definitely want to be around for that because it will be a lot of fun. And we want to thank the folks who were with us today live listening. We had Dan KF5 TQN, John K1 BTZ, and Ted WA0EIR. So thanks everybody who was part of the live show and thanks everybody who downloads and listens after the fact and who supports the program and helps us keep the lights on and everything. We hope you have a great week and we'll talk to you all again very, very soon. This has been episode number 455 of Linux in the Hamshack. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke lhspodcast or by using the contribute list on the homepage. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism.